So up next, I'm going to play you uh, episode number 58 again. It's called Purple Rain, about the Purple Hotel, reported by Gwen Maxi. And then we're going to have a really, really significant, you know, like four or five minute update about what happened to the Purple Hotel since this was first reported. So stay tuned for that. This is 99% Invisible. I'm Roman Mars. The hotel on the very prominent corner of Tui and Kilburn Avenue in Lincolnwood, Illinois, used to be the town's most famous building. The first Hyatt Hotel in all of Chicagoland. Premier accommodations. Top-notch restaurant. It was swank. Roberta Flack stayed there. Barry Manilow stayed there. Perry Como. Michael Jordan stayed there on his first night in Chicago. And every 13-year-old boy in the area had his bar mitzvah there. The hotel was built in 1960, and it looks it. So if you're wondering how much potentially anachronistic lounge music I'm going to cram into this episode, oh, it's going to be a lot. Then, slowly, over time, it became Lincolnwood's most infamous building. It changed hands, got seedy, and run down. It was the home of the Midwest Fetish Fair and Marketplace Convention. There were drug-fueled sex parties attended by shady Chicago politicians later convicted of things like extortion. And, of course, there was the convicted mobster Alan Dorfman, who was gunned down in the parking lot. But that's not why everyone in the area knows the building. If you know nothing of its history, it's still pretty hard to miss. Because it's purple. Really, really purple. Growing up nearby, I always thought it was really, really ugly. Lots of people did. To be fair, lots of people didn't, but everyone had an opinion about it. But Gwen Maxi, that's who I'm talking to now, by the way, noted essayist and public radio host, and she even created a sitcom once. She has a secret about the Purple Hotel. My father designed it. My name is John Maxi. I'm a retired architect and former professor at UIC. Uh, I designed a lot of... Just the building we're talking about. Don't interrupt. <laughs> I don't have time for the long bio, Dad. Okay, I designed a lot of apartment buildings in Chicago. We're here to talk about the Purple Hotel. I need you to say, I designed, my name is John Maxi, I'm an architect, I designed the Purple Hotel. My name is John Maxi, I'm an architect, and I was the designer of the Purple Hotel. Finally! Now, you have to understand that when I say the building is purple, I don't mean the kind of purple of, say, an iris or a plum. It's purple as in lavender. Lavender purple glazed brick all over pretty much the entire thing. Which, needless to say, makes it stand out. Depending on how you look at it, like a prized jewel or a sore thumb. You know, that's one of the few buildings that if you see it once, you know, it's you, you've seen it forever. You can't, you know, get the image of it out of your mind. It is so purple that after it changed hands, the new owners renamed it The Purple Hotel. WBEZ architecture critic Lee Bay. I think that it's worth looking at absent the brick. The brick I like, but I wish you could, you know, sort of put on the glasses that could filter it out so you don't see the brick, at least in, in one trip, and really see how the building holds itself together structurally. I mean, I think it's really, 
good. The way that John was able to put those supports on the outside of the hotel to give larger floor plates in the middle, which is what you want. You want, you want big functional spaces instead of, a, instead of a hotel. And then, again, the little nooks of green space and the way the, the sort of the buildings kind of fit together, the complex fits together. I mean, really, there's, a, there's really a lot of good things going on there. You know, I say come for the purple, but stay for the architecture. The thing that everybody notices first, including architects, would be the color. I mean, I think that if anybody's saying that it's not the color, that they're lying, because you can't really look at the building without noticing that it's purple. So it's the only purple building around, but then, you know, after that initial wave of color hits you, you notice really what a great modernist structure it has and how the structure is expressed on the outside, which is also not something you see every day anymore. And um, I think it's a wonderful building. That was Jackie Koo, founding principal of the architectural firm Koo & Associates. We'll get back to her in a minute. But first, the story of why and how the building got to be so purple. My dad, John Maxi. It was commissioned by the Pritzkers, a very rich family in Chicago. And it was uh, the first Hyatt Hotel in the Midwest. It was called Hyatt House. Had nothing to do with the purple. By the way, the purple came because one of the Pritzkers, A.N., the big man among the Pritzkers in the family, asked me what color play style I want to use. And I wanted to use gray. And he said, that's dull. I like something brighter. So I made a mistake of showing him the samples of books having on it some 35, 40 colored samples, and sure enough, he picked the purple. And you don't argue with A.N. Pritzker. (laughs) My father tells me this story, but I suspect differently. He's always gravitated toward bold color choices. Our current argument is over bright orange balconies on a building that we always pass. He loves them, and I hate them. When I was growing up, his favorite color was blue, a color that to me is suspiciously close to purple. In fact, every house we ever lived in, brick bungalow, summer house in the woods, suburban barn-shaped house with mustard-colored siding, all had bright blue front doors that my father painted. My elementary school bus driver used to call me Blue Door. Upon interrogation, my father coughed up his strange Hungarian logic. In the Near East where ultimately I come from, the blue color on the doors, blue and green, is to keep the evil spirit away. So that's the reason I always painted the entrance door of our houses blue, to keep the evil spirit away. And it did. Do you think it worked for the, the hotel? Blue was picked. So you don't think the purple kept away the evil eye from the hotel? Not really, because there was a murder in the hotel. Actually, there were two, but I digress. The beauty of that building is the exposed concrete frame, how the columns are pulled out of the structure, showing this. It's like a human being whose skeleton would be on the exterior, partially. That would be weird, right? Well, that's, that's the way that building is. The columns are pulled out, the slabs are slightly pulled out, It's a building which reveals its structure. And that is architecturally the interesting thing about it. The purple is 
totally irrelevant. It could be green, okay? It, it would be the same good or bad building. So I, as an architect, I have to ask you, um, this is a perfect example of what the, the difference between what the public sees and what the architect sees. Oh, absolutely. Because the public sees purple brick. The architect is sitting here saying the purple is so unimportant in the scheme of the building. Exactly. The, it means nothing. It's just such a tiny thing. But to the public, that's all it is. That's right, because the public is ignorant. <laughs> Truly ignorant. Well, you can't really argue with him there. But in our defense, and I count myself as one of the public in this scenario, it's really, really purple. And despite how far the Purple Hotel fell from its original glory, the dilapidation, the murder, the drug-fueled sex parties, and a demolition order, it was not torn down. Time passed. The economy fell to pieces. Mid-century architecture slowly came back into vogue. Mad Men was on TV. The purple brick was kind of retro cool. A light, however dim, was starting to shine on the building and its future. Then, the Purple Hotel was nominated for landmark status, a place on the historic registry. There was talk of finding a buyer, talk of renovation. And then, while I was searching and interviewing for this very story, the Purple Hotel went up for auction. There was a lot of pomp and circumstance in the beginning of you know, the um, auctioneer yelling and saying, are you ready? And, and, you know, in the booming voice. And then, and then, and then really there was only one bidder. So. (laughs) (laughs) And that bidder was Jake Weiss of Weiss Properties in Skokie, which happens to be right next to Lincolnwood. He bought the Purple Hotel. And while Weiss is a shrewd businessman with a keen eye and good instincts, this particular purchase was also a labor of love. When you have something that really is just not realizing its value and its potential, that has such a prime piece of property, it bothers you. You know, it's part of your neighborhood, it's part of your community, and it's something that you really want to see be an asset to the community instead of a blight. Here comes the love part. Separately from that, when my, um, and more importantly, I think, uh, we almost lived at the Purple Hotel for a period of time. My, um, when my grandfather had passed away and my father was saying the traditional Kaddish. That's the Jewish prayer for the dead. There was no synagogue anywhere in close proximity to where he lived at the time. And because we're Orthodox and we don't drive on the Sabbath, that was a little bit prohibitive to say the Kaddish. Um, there's a very convenient shul right down the block. Also known as a synagogue. Uh, the congregation Yehuda Moshe. So on every single Shabbos for a year, uh, we would move into the Purple Hotel uh, to accommodate my father's responsibility to say the Kaddish for his father. So we lived there for about a year, uh, every single weekend. <laughs> and, um, you know, me and my sister, uh, the hotel was our playground. And the architect Weiss has chosen to redesign the Purple Hotel and bring it back to its original luster is Jackie Koo of Jackie Koo & Associates. Also, a former student of my father, the original architect, John Maxi. One of the things that we're looking into is more of a historic restoration of the building. And it would be wonderful, and especially since we have some of the old drawings, the original drawings from the 60s. And there are a lot of pieces that are still left in the building, such as this wonderful monumental terrazzo stair with this wood wall behind it. I mean, you can really see it as this kind of 
um, you know, late 50s, early 60s kind of Mad Men era, Pan Am sort of hotel that really could be very current in today's hospitality environment. The culture today, especially in the hospitality market, for some reason purple is a predominant color. Not necessarily in the color of the brick, but in all their marketing. I mean, you'll look at the neon lights and the color of the key fob cards and the brochures that get printed. For some reason, purple is popping, and I'm not quite sure why. Have any of your buildings had this kind of history, this kind of life cycle that you know of? No, none of them. The same way that a person may go through life and you might go through different cycles yourself and everybody goes through different rebellious times and ups and downs, um, I, I think the same holds true for a property like this that really was a character of itself. The building was really a product of the environment around it at any given time and you know, to a certain extent the fact that the building did change with the decades and the environment around it, it really is the building's character. And while it's true that this character, this building, this structure of nine lives sits empty at the moment, surrounded by bored traffic and an empty parking lot, it may just be crouching, gathering its muster, ready to spring back to life, arresting that traffic, filling that parking lot, and strutting like a proud peacock. A purple one. I'd like to thank Red Mandel from National Wrecking Company for doing all that he and his company could do to make this day a reality. Here we go! Yeah, baby! So it turns out that after all of the gargantuan efforts to save the Purple Hotel, it would have cost 40-some million dollars. That's a million with an M. Actually, it was over $40 million. It was just cost prohibitive. So despite so much goodwill on the part of so many people who wanted to see it survive, the Purple Hotel was torn down. Or I should say, is in the process of being torn down. But at least the process of tearing the Purple Hotel down began with some ceremony. Start finding a seat. We're going to get started. On August 27, 2013, the parking lot of the Purple Hotel was filled with local dignitaries from Lincolnwood, Illinois. Even the mayor was there. Thank you so much for being here, Mayor. So on the day of the demolition, it was really, really beautiful. They had a huge white tent. They had purple flowers. They had purple napkins. Um, they gave my dad a purple brick with a plaque on it. I mean, it was just really, really beautifully done. And it was a loving tribute to the building. Um, at the same time, it was a little bit like going to synagogue because <laughs> Lincolnwood is a predominantly Jewish suburb, or at least it was. And so all the people who had such strong feelings about the building uh, largely were Jewish. Okay, good morning. Good morning, everyone. Thank you all for coming to my bar mitzvah today. But this wasn't exactly a bar mitzvah. When John Maxi took the stage, he said it was a little more like another rite of passage. It's, it's a little bit like being invited for your own funeral, <laughs> which, by the way, cannot be avoided. <laughs> kind of curious thing that 
An architect is invited to the tearing down of his building. The typical moment a piece of architecture and a piece of journalism coincide is when the building is first constructed. This is like writing the biography of a person the moment that he or she is born. The real story is how the structure influences the environment, how it grows up, how its fortune changes, and even how it dies. Though this wasn't really the end of the Purple Hotel anyway. The wrecking ball took a couple of whacks at the building, and then they stopped. It's going to take five months to tear it down because 75% of it needs to be recycled uh, as a matter of law. Brick by purple brick, they're taking it down. So the bricks would just get thrown into a big pile and shipped off to wherever they get recycled if there wasn't such a high demand for them. It turns out that everybody and their brother wants a purple brick. Uh, I was married at that hotel. I lost my virginity at that hotel. I used to go to that hotel every weekend with my parents. I played in the pool at that hotel. I heard Roberta Flack at that hotel. I mean, everybody has a memory associated with it, and so everybody wants a brick. And I can't even tell you how many people have asked me for a brick, not the least of which, I might add, was you. Oh, I want a purple brick so badly. Um, I'm going to get you at least a chip, if not a brick. As long as it has some purple on it. it. It will have the iconic purple glaze on it. 99% Invisible was produced this week by Gwen Maxi, Sam Greenspan, and me, Roman Mars. We are a project of 91.7 local public radio KALW in San Francisco and the American Institute of Architects in San Francisco. Support is provided in part by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website, blog, portfolio, and even an online store. I took a few hours one night and created my own personal website at romanmars.com using Squarespace, and it was actually pretty fun. And for someone who has no skill in this arena whatsoever, I think I did a pretty good job. If you're a person like me in your late 30s, uh, the only thing that's a little confusing is how easy it is to do things. So you're just like, surely I can't just drag this thing over and have it resize automatically. And sure enough, boom, it just does it. And you have to retrain your brain to accept the fact that really smart people have already anticipated what you want to do. And then you should just dive in and go for it. For a free trial and 10% off your first purchase on new accounts, go to squarespace.com and use the offer code INVISIBLE10. Squarespace, everything you need to create an exceptional website. Support is also provided by Tiny Letter, email for people with something to say. My boys Maslow and Carver always have something to say, and it is that time of year again, so there's only one thing on their minds. Halloween! Do you have anything more to say? Yes. We've had to hold them back from decorating the house with spider webs and skulls since mid-August, with like a whip in a chair, I swear. Tinyletter.com, it's free, easy, minimal, and powerful, the simplest way to send an email newsletter from the great people behind MailChimp. We are distributed by PRX, the public radio exchange making public radio more public. Find out more and explore the great world of independent public radio, including the PRX Remix app at prx.org. You can find the show and like the show on Facebook. I tweet at Roman Mars. Sam Greenspan tweets at Sam Listens. But right now, you can find pictures of the destruction of the Purple Hotel and also some nice pictures of it in its heyday at 99percentinvisible.org. The 
band you're listening to right now is called OK Akumi. We use a lot of them on this radio program along with bands like Lullatone and Melodium and Orcas. If you want to score your life like an episode of 99% Invisible, go to our webpage is 99pi.org and look for our Spotify playlist. And then, you know, go buy something of theirs because all these bands are awesome. Thanks. <laughs> 